Hello, this is Yechan Kim, and this is the second episode of the Caruso podcast. And today we have the topic of the U.S. debt ceiling and how it's going to affect the world economy. Um, thank you for tuning in for this podcast. And today, once again, I am alone. Um, we are preparing some uh, invitations to new guests, but for now, we're going to be um, doing this. Uh, I'm going to be doing this all by myself. So. Um, I hope you enjoy, and here it goes. So uh, today's topic, as I told you, is the debt ceiling issue, and um, this is a very important issue to the world economy because um, the U.S. and how they uh, compromise regarding this debt ceiling issue uh, is going to determine the future of the world economy and how uh, the U.S. economy may face a default or um, they're going to keep being able to spend their money constantly. And the thing we have to understand is that in in U.S. politics, we have two sides. Uh, the first side, obviously, is the uh, more supply-side economics, more uh, laissez-faire economics of the Republicans. Um, they are traditionally known to be more uh, pro-business uh, and pro-industry, and um, usually these days in the United States, Republicans and their constituents are mostly based on uh, middle class white, uh, white families and uh, also some pro- Protestant uh, groups. Um, so that's one of the reasons why they are also pretty much conservative in much of the social issues. Um, however, they do like to spend much on defense. Uh, national defense spending has been one of the core parts of our Republican ideologies uh, compared to how uh, Democrats, on the other hand, try to reduce that kind of uh, defense spending. And they try to increase the welfare spending for people, um, including ways through universal health care. We've seen that through Obamacare and um, from decades ago, uh, including the Great Society programs, the uh, uh, the policies by FDR, the New Deal policies. That's when all of this, uh, when this paradigm started between the Republicans and the Democrats. So since then, Democrats have been advocating strongly for uh, social welfare systems, um, especially in modern society where uh, health care is one of the most important issues in the U.S. And this is because the U.S. has one of the most expensive healthcare systems around the world. And compared to, since I'm a South Korean citizen, um, South Korea has a much faster, much cheaper medical system. They have one of the best ones, although um, there are uh, some other countries that have uh, better healthcare systems. The U.S. has one of the worst healthcare systems. And um, the insurance systems and how uh, people are not provided with universal Medicare um, makes it hard for for them to uh, really afford a lot of the healthcare uh, costs that they have to bear through um, their illnesses and their um, health struggles. So uh, that's why after the uh, Reagan administration since the 1980s, so this is kind of background information, but after the 1980s and uh, during the uh, first few years of the Bill Clinton era, um, after George H. W. Bush, who uh, was who continued the policies of Reagan, and he continued the defense spendings, he continued the tax cuts. He famously said, 
read my lips, no new taxes, and um, the you know partisan support for social welfare systems and um, graduated income tax has continued since then. And um, things got a little, uh, things eased out a little bit during the Bill Clinton era, um, during when uh, Bill Clinton and his wife, Hillary Clinton, who later becomes the New York uh, Senator of New York and also the presidential nominee of the Democratic Party uh, in 2016, they uh, are able to make a reform effort at the start of their um, presidency and their regimes. But at the end of the day, they aren't able to succeed in that. And um, things are passed down to uh, George W. Bush, who is the son of George H. W. Bush. And this is when we uh, started to see much more of the uh, partisan tension that um, rised after the Reagan administration. And I think this is because of how um, the central issue of U.S. politics changed. And it changed from initially the the um, the social issues regarding the civil rights issues uh, since the eras of Kennedy and uh, Lyndon B. Johnson. But then as this transition, as this uh, change to uh, more of a um, issue about gender, not about race, although the issues of race continued, and also because of how uh, the U.S. economy was constantly facing recessions and uh, during the oil shocks, um, they had to go through those hard economic situations. They became more aware of um, of the necessity of discussing these economic issues in politics. And I think, um, in my theory, before before all this happened, and before especially the George W. Bush administration, um, things were um, economic policies were more led by uh, the presidents and the executive branch rather than it being like a central issue but starting from uh, early as the clinton administration how he had to face the uh, new gingrich congress and the um, contract with america congress um, i think that's when these economic issues started and i know this is quite a long background story but bear through with me and um, the infamous Bush tax cuts, which were implemented during the uh, George W. Bush administration, those were the central point that started the, this uh, tension that we're seeing now. And this was because of how the tax cuts were. Um, it was during a time where the U.S. had a surplus in their budget and they had reduced the debts that's uh, significantly after the Clinton administration um, with Clinton doing his best to uh, uh, work with these issues. And um, that surplus was instantly reduced after the Bush tax cuts were implemented. And the good thing about Bush tax cuts was that um, it also allowed tax cuts to um, a little low income classes as well. Um, it also uh, allowed these classes to, um, I would say, fairly equally um, be exempt from tax, although uh, large corporations were able to avoid taxation more significantly. But at the end of the day, it allowed uh, less taxation for the people, while um, the cost was that it was going to reduce the national debt again. And this was enhanced, and this, uh, this struggle and this issue was 
um, exacerbated when the U.S. had to face the events of 911, and 911 itself um, had a shock and it had an immediate impact on the U.S. economy. But this was for just an instance. But if we think about it, the reason why the uh, the U.S. had to face such a large debt issue um, in the 21st century was because uh, Bush got the U.S. into uh, the mess in the Middle East, and um, by the mess, I'm I'm trying to talk about the um, Afghanistan war, the war against terrorism, um, the uh, battles against ISIS and Al Qaeda, and how this has continued, um, and even to the extent of the U.S. being involved in Syria against countries like Russia and China, and this this made the U.S. national defense budget. Um, increased astronomically and um, historically we have seen that uh, when national defense spending increases um, the budget uh, decreases for other aspects such as social welfare systems while the overall debt constantly increases and the problem with this is that it reduces the capacity of the American economy and it reduces the the capacity of incentives and the um, support that the government can give to revive some business sectors. And this caused the most important problem here, which is the problem of um, the uh, U.S. having to bear through recessions without much of a uh, Keynesian idea of spending. And deficit spending is quite um, risky at these moments, and it's not a viable option for the American government during uh, these times with high debt. And um, despite these aspects, um, Obama had to spend um, with Keynesian ideals because of the situation that he faced. Um, he came in in 2008 after being elected as the first African-American president in the United States um, he came in and he had to spend astronomical amounts of funds because of how the global financial crisis and the fall of the Lehman Brothers and you know the bank failures, it all costed the um, American economy so much that without such a spending, um, the order that the U.S. had built upon since uh, World War II, as I mentioned in, last, um, in the first episode of this podcast, um, Obama had to do that to preserve American leadership and to save the American economy. And the techniques he used with Ben Bernanke was that um, he used quantitative easing, which means that um, the Federal Reserve buys, uh, buys ats- assets and they release um, liquidity or uh, money into the circulation of the economy which stimulates the economy and allows for a rapid recovery and also economic growth. That is the idea of Keynesian economics. That is the central part of this, um, this branch of economic idea. And although this was successful in that it revived the American economy, the national debt during these times, it doubled and tripled and became so big that it would be... Um, impossible to manage and this didn't stop even in Trump's administration especially because of how uh, Trump constantly uh, deregulated industries 
He allowed corporates to have more freedom with their uh, taxation laws and um, also legislations allowed these corporations to do that. So um, because of those reasons, the debt couldn't be reduced like it was during the Clinton administration when uh, Bill Clinton uh, strived and uh, made efforts to change the system. And um, this continued and another hit that happened was the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And we're almost there, but the COVID-19 pandemic was another big change. And I told you that the national debt had increased by double or triple the value it was originally um, in the Bush administration. And this was not only because of how uh, America had to spend a lot in its national defense and its uh, foreign wars, but it was also because of how uh, America had to intervene in a lot of economic crises like the global pandemic. And since the global pandemic shut down the world economy, the U.S. as the frontrunner of the uh, world economy, they had to do something. Um, and this was as soon as things were getting better. And uh, since the COVID-19 pandemic first started in early 2020 um, in Wuhan, uh, this um, Biden, as soon as he was inaugurated in 2021 January, he came in. He passed the America Recovery Act, and he um, he made uh, astronomical funds that were compared to the infamous New Deal policies. And the New Deal policies were um, they were in the center of controversy during FDR's presidency, but they were uh, somewhat allowed because of how uh, it was during the Great Depression, and no one else could save it. And during that time, they've, they'd seen so much about laissez-faire economics um, done by Warren G. Harding, um, Coolidge, and Hoover that they were disgusted by those ideas and they thought it was useless. And um, for me, I personally think that in economics, there's no theory um, that's useless. But during those times, it was true that the laissez-faire policies were not working um, because it was... Um, it was making so much deregulation that the uh, corporations and banking systems exploited uh, the mass population. And this allowed uh, bank failures to happen so easily. And that's why uh, it had to be stopped. And that's why the New Deal came in. But for uh, the Biden administration, this was kind of different. It was something that happened worldwide, not only the U.S. It was not something that the U.S. Um, had uh been the start of uh, which was done during the Great Depression. During the Great Depression, um, I wouldn't say it was the sole, far, uh, sole um, responsibility of the US to um, take care of that issue, but they were the root cause of the depression itself. But for the global pandemic, it was not their problem. It was the world's problem, the entire world's problem. So. Um, I think that was the, one of the reasons why many worried about um, worried about the uh, spendings done by Biden and Kamala Harris when they clinched that uh, seat in the executive branch. And traditionally, Biden was um, a very experienced candidate when he got to the point where he was elected in 2020. And he was um, the vice president of Barack Obama for eight years. Um, he was quite an aggressive uh, individual who... Uh, who uh, 
continued the uh, relationship with China after the early uh, detente policies of the Nixon and Kissinger era. And he was the one who had done that. But coming into 2020 and 2021, um, he started to do these spending deals because of how uh, the U.S. was being threatened by um, uh, China's growth. Um, and uh, um, even though the global pandemic was all across the globe, China was still um, strong in their economy. And America had shown their perils during the global financial crisis that started from 2008. And um, this was why uh, some of the uh, world citizens started to worry about American leadership. And as, as I discussed last time, um, this was where China was able to grow tremendously and they become the uh, second runner of the world economy. And um, I think Biden definitely felt the need to fight against that, um, especially because he was after uh, Donald J. Trump, who was an isolationist and someone who uh, pursued policies of shutting out other countries and putting America first. And um, this was at times quite... Uh, ineffective in that it shut down a lot of the um, industries that America had, and it shut out a lot of the um, a lot of the uh, systems that the America that America had been making um, in terms of relationships, um, uh, military relationships, economic relationships, um, trading advantages, and all these things. So Biden. Um, I think he felt the need that he should step up as the president of the United States to change this system. And this is why he made such a big spending uh, spending decision and he signed those bills. And this came to be one of the uh, catastrophes of um, the periods after the global pandemic. And this was because um, the spendings were so large, but um, at the same time, since the pandemic was beginning to end, um, the American economy and the American consumers were coming back to the market. Uh, they were eager to get back to the market and spend um, the funds they've received during the pandemic. It was, um, it was a lot of relief funds. Um, some were quite um, related to corruption in that process. But um, at the end of the day, the money circulation was already quite big uh, since people had been not spending as much and the market was closed for a long time so that's when the demand of the american economy was so big um that uh the reason why the um global inf inflation crisis happened was because of the american economy and its big demand and this happened in europe and other um more economically developed countries as well but um it happened more significantly in the u.s in the U.S., the difference was that it was caused by demand. Inflation was not because of anything else. It was caused by demand. And since you pour in so much money in this kind of a uh, high-demand situation, it's going to inevitably increase the money supply. And it's going to inevitably increase the uh, consumer price index. It's going to um, harm the economy. And at first, um, Biden thought the uh, country was recovering very well from the global pandemic. But this was um, not true. This was actually only the surface of the larger problem. It was um, just a glimpse of what we would see after, um, after a few years. And we saw that last year in 2022, where the inflation was so bad that the interest rates were 
um, the uh, Federal Reserve had to implement hawkish uh, policies of interest rates, and they raised the uh, rates so much that uh, the U.S. had a danger of facing another recession. And uh, Ray Dalio talks about this in his book and his, um, you know, in his work. But uh, the problem with uh, most capitalist countries um, is that they always face a cycle of inflation and recession. This is going to continue. But um, since Biden poured in so much money, I think this cycle was um, broken off to what it was supposed to be. And this was kind of a uh, irregular cycle. So it was um, quite distinct from what we would expect from a nor normal situation. And um, since uh, this progressed, and uh, because of how the economic stagnation continued so much, um, you know, they had to pour in more money. And this was just a completely um, ruined cycle. And um, at the end of the day, that was why they had been constantly facing pressures from the Republican Party that it's time to reduce these spendings. And um, I think... American politics is so chaotic that uh, you can't say one one faction is uh, has the right opinion. They have the right idea of the economy because um, Republicans at this point, it seems like it's going to be right for the American economy to reduce its spending. But what the Republicans want is also increased defense spending. And um, without taxation, the American economy is not going to be able to pay its debts. Um, they're not going to be able to pay um, a lot of the social welfare spendings that have saved so many lives. But at the same time, the Democrats are not um, taking care of the national um, debt ceiling. So this is a constant problem. And uh, we saw that um, even in the Obama administration where it seemed like, um, you know, there was no other answer than pouring in money. Even in those times, the Republicans constantly argued that it was not right to do this um, and tax taxation should be re reduced and Obamacare is unconstitutional. That's what they've been arguing. But right now, it's a situation where um, it was not only about uh, America, it was about the whole world. And it also made no sense um, in its economy you know, in its economics, that um, pouring in money would help the process. And since that happened, I think what the um, what the psychology of Republicans right now at this point is that um, since the, the Democrats decided to do that without uh, much of a compromise, um, I think they're just trying to, you know, fight against this. And I'm not saying that the Republicans are wrong and or the Democrats are right or anything like that. But it just seems that this tension has been um, growing since the Obama administration. And we also saw that in the Trump administration. I mean, in the Trump administration, Trump had to face opposition inside his party, which was quite fascinating and quite, um, quite, uh, quite ironic at times. But that's what he had to face because... Um, even in those times, the debt ceiling was constantly rising, um, and it didn't make quite sense to build a a um, a whole a wall system across Mexico. So that was the issues that lasted, and we also saw examples of where the American econ economy actually shut down for a few days. 
um, when the Congress had to uh, postpone their um, you know stages of compromise, and the U.S. faced a default in uh, many of these insta- instances. So we have seen those um, things actually happen. It's not something that's um, just um, just random, but it's still something that's quite unexpected and quite um, hard to fight against. Um, and I think I gotta stop saying the word quite because um, one of my uh, one of my fellow uh, buddies actually mentioned that I use the word quite too much. Um, so I'm trying to stop using that today. But um, continuing with what I was talking about, um, that's why uh, currently in the um, in the Congress and um, in the House, led by Kevin McCarthy, a Republican speaker. Um, they are trying to battle this. But at the same time, I think the difference is that um, the congressmen are trying to um, make compromises, at least. Um, before, I think there were a lot of instances where they were um, absolutely um, rejecting uh, the efforts of negotiation with the um, with each other. But I think the uh, positive side of the issue right now is that um, they are still trying to negotiate and the uh, negotiations were uh, called off after a few times but um, it's starting to resume again and um, in one of the articles of the New York Times it reported that um, Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans are constantly trying to negotiate and the Democrats led by Joe Biden and some other members in the Congress um, they are also trying to make compromises. But since the situation has gone to a significant extent of chaos and disorder, um, and since the debt ceiling has, has increased so much, I think both sides are quite careful with what they're trying to do. And I think it's hard for them to each give up some of what they are arguing because uh, they both matter for uh, the country. Uh, in terms of the Democrats, uh, their arguments matter because without some of the social spendings that the government um, has right now um, it's the American people are going to suffer and a lot of them are going to be um, you know they're not going to be able to receive medical care they're not going to be able to uh, have homes where they can live um, and on the other hand if um, you know without the arguments over the Republicans the debt ceiling is just going to keep on increasing and the American economy is going to fall at some point because they uh, their national debt has already exceeded uh, many other countries' budgets, like entire national budgets. So that's because the U.S. is just a untouchable superpower in the world, but also because of the um, many years in which the U.S. Um, continued these spendings. Um, and these spendings started since the eras of FDR, and it hasn't stopped um, even once, um, and even if it stopped, um, it would have been for just a few days when uh, the Republicans and the Democrats were making compromises. So I think that's one of the focal points of this issue, and um, I do think that there is much hope this time. And um, I do think um, also as a student who is uh, interested in economics that um, if a uh, U.S. default happens, it's gonna, it's just going to ruin the world economy. And the world economy has bared a lot after um, the pandemic and the uh, global infl- inflation crisis. 
and um, by a lot I mean like a lot. So um, I think this is going to be one of the main problems that the U.S. had to, has to face. And um, one of the things I would also connect to this is the outcome of the 2024 presidential election. And I think um, based on how the Democrats handle this issue and how the Republicans in the Congress are able to make compromises um, since they have a majority in uh, you know, virtually both houses of the Congress, um, I think that's going to determine the um, the uh, minds of many moderates and people who haven't still decided on who to vote for. And this might be also because um, some of the candidates have not yet announced their campaigns. Um, yes, I'm referring to Ron DeSantis and uh, Mike Pence and a lot of uh, Republicans. Um, I could have talked about Joe Biden, but he announced his campaign um, a few weeks ago. So um, that's that. And I think, again, that is going to be um, a significant uh, you know, influence to the presidential election. Since we talked a lot about um, American politics, I think I um, we can move on to another issue. And on, on another issue that uh, came up to my mind was um, the issue of the war in Ukraine and the G7 conference where um, South Korea's President Yoon Song-yeol also participated in and also uh, made discussions in. So um, this uh, conference it was uh, very significant in the war in Ukraine. And this was because the phase the war is in right now. And since the war started in early 2022, um, it has been much over a year. It has been multiple months over a year um, since the war started. And uh, the thing is with this is that many expected the war to end um, in the uh, winter. Um, they expected the war to end early 2023, which it which did not happen. But um, now countries are uh, really starting to participate in this issue. Germany recently, I think, uh, uh, made a big commitment, um, the second big co- biggest commitment after the U.S. I think, um, in terms of supporting Ukraine with uh, military equipments and supplies and um, all these machineries. So um, it's the. The issue is definitely escalating. Um, it's going to a point where uh, Putin may now really feel a threat. Um, and I think even though Ukraine was um, so fierce in their fights and they uh, lasted a long time, some experts expected them to lose in the winter. But since that didn't happen, I think um, many Western countries are now deeming it as a chance to um, chance to uh, fight against Russia. And they think um, this is going to be the chance where they can uh, knock down Russia. And um, I am not sure what what kind of an effect it's going to have to uh, Putin's regime. Um, I do expect that if, if he loses this war, um, Russia is going to face a, uh, a great economic loss and they are going to um, face a large uprising against Putin, which is going to make the country once again divided and I think that's going to last for a few years again. But, um, you know, those events are unexpected. So I can't make a quite a uh, clear view on that. But still, I think um, Western countries are now considering an, a very good option to participate and um, gain some credit out of uh, the war. 
so um the g7 conference happened uh, a few days ago um a lot of the world leaders participated in, uh, in it and um i do think that it's going to once again help out um ukraine and their supplies and um you know president zelensky i think he's going to be remembered as one of the greatest heroes of ukraine inside ukraine um for many years after this um after the war ends if um ukraine claims the victory but uh, even if he doesn't i think he has already made so much of a footprint in the world history and world politics so um it's also one of the issues that i would like to focus on for um the next coming days with the editors of the robinson review before we end we have one announcement and that is the announcement regarding our new website and vivid academics and um our partners have provided a lot of support with the uh, making process and with the um, developments. So I hope you can uh, look at it and um, have fun. Um, I think it's going to be a great opportunity for us, the Robinson Review, to uh, develop our pr plans and um, you know use those features for our future. So um, stay tuned for more updates and. This was the Crusoe Podcast hosted by Yechan Kim and the Robinson Review. Thank you.